Want to be a part of the conversation? Then let us know on the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's news talk, TNT Radio. When the whole world seems turned upside down, we sort through it together. Tyler Nixon on today's news talk, TNT. Tyler Nixon show for Wednesday, February 21st, 2024. It's decision time in London for uh, Julian Assange, and uh, we shall see what's going to happen. Unfortunately, as I understand it, Julian has not been able to attend his own proceedings uh, in his case, which is a very sad state of affairs frankly, because the man has been so beaten down uh, after years uh, as a prisoner in the Chilean embassy, now at uh, White Marsh. And uh, it's just, uh, it, it's it's really a human rights uh, travesty what's been done to him, not to mention an affront to just essential, uh, for, from the American side, constitutional rights and, uh, well, God-given rights enshrined in the Constitution. Um, and the total, uh, it's, it's a total abdication of our, obligation as people in a free society and a free country to protect journalists, to protect truth tellers. But unfortunately, we've got a, uh, a frankly, a corrupt, uh, just vile, if not evil, uh, cabal or, or a set of people, whatever you want to call it, that runs uh, the intelligence services. Uh, I don't know how these people came about within the American. Well, I mean, I have an idea of how they came about within our American uh, uh, the American government, uh, probably not least being that uh, after World War II, we defeated the Nazis, but then we basically uh, shipped a bunch of their, uh, uh, some of their worst characters, certainly at least in the intelligence uh, side of things, into our, uh, and integrated them into the American intelligence uh, apparatus or the Western intelligence apparatus um, in Operation Paperclip. And I think we see the results. I think we've seen uh, our, our slide towards a fascist dictatorship where uh, these secret police uh, our organizations, these secret police apparatus and apparati within the government um, are, are have reached the point where they believe uh, either collectively or individuals who are leading them, that they are uh, supreme to the people, supreme to the, uh, the real sovereign in the country, which is uh, always the people in the United States, our constitution, uh, begins we the people uh, in order to form more perfect union and establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility and provide for the common defense and promote the general welfare. So, you know, these are these are not very consistent with uh, imprisoning people for uh, for certainly nonviolent crimes, but crimes that are defined as offenses against the state because, uh, you know, whether it reveals the corruption or perfidy of the state or simply uh, challenges whatever the official doctrine is of the state. Um, and this is what's happening in the United States. Uh, this is what we fought against, uh, what we threw off, certainly, uh, in order to form this nation and what we uh, uh, what much blood has been spilled around the world, at least uh, in, in the righteous wars we fought anyway, um, to liberate others and to to keep our country free. And it's frankly sad. And it's uh, it's really a, reaching a new low uh, for what they're doing to Julian Assange. Um, we've got a few clips from uh, TNT's coverage of the rallies. Uh, the rally, I should say, in London, um, supporting Julian Assange. Uh, so um, I'd like to run the first one. Uh, it's uh, it would be clip number one. We'll watch a quick minute of uh, the uh, uh, the rally for for Julian. Just a few things. Julian has spent in one form of incarceration and another or another 
over 14 years. Julian has spent over 14 years in one form of incarceration or another. Are you good with that? No! All of Julian's human rights suspended. Are you good with that? No! Due process abuse after abuse. Are you good with that? No! Over 25 court cases in one form or another for an innocent man, no charges laid. Are you good with that? No! I just want to thank you all for coming and thank you for your strength and understanding, as I do, that all genius ascends from the people, ascends from us upward. And it is us in the manifestation of the Australian Parliament declaring that Julian Assange must be brought home has shown our courage manifested in the parliamentary declaration. Is that not magnificent? See you this afternoon for the march. There you have Julian Assange's own father making a plea to the people for justice, for due process, for basic human rights for his son, who's been uh, horribly uh, oppressed and persecuted and echoing, or I should say, I was unwittingly echoing exactly what he said, that uh, the power uh, ascends upward from we, the people, from the people. Um, and unfortunately, it's been perverted. It's being uh, undermined. It's being subverted by uh, tyrants. Um, that video actually is courtesy of uh, TNT's own Mike Ryan, who's there on the ground with the team uh, covering uh, covering Julian's uh, hearing in the plight in the plight of uh, of of him basically and frankly, which also shut down WikiLeaks essentially. I mean, WikiLeaks hasn't really. I mean, WikiLeaks still operates and still exists, but it hasn't uh, hasn't been able to do any of any of these sort of um, uh, revelations or, or uh, disclosures and hard hitting exposure of government corruption that it did and was known for 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 at least a good decade um, we have another clip it's uh, andrew wilkie who's an australian politician also there on the ground uh, let's hear what uh, mr wilkie has to say for uh, in defense and uh, in favor of and support of julian who remembers collateral murder Yay! who can forget that grainy black and white image of an American attack helicopter gunning down innocent Iraqis and Reuters journalists. Who can remember that? And we have this madness that the man who told the truth, who provided hard evidence of US war crimes, he's the one in front of a court. It should have been the pilots of that helicopter. But some common sense has broken out. At least now the Australian Parliament has finally voted. The Australian Prime Minister has finally stood up and given a clear, strong signal to the Americans that enough is enough. Regardless of what you think of Julian, this matter must be brought to an end. 
the extradition must be dropped, the charges must be dropped, he must be busted out of Belmarsh, he must be allowed to be reunited with his family. Because Julian Assange is the hero here, not the villain. Once again, uh, echoing sentiments uh, that I've uh, said before, that Julian Assange is a hero. And I couldn't agree more that uh, what he said, uh, well, I mean, I would I would differ a little bit in that he, uh, Mr. Wilkie advocated uh, pr prosecuting the pilots of the, uh, the, you know, the war crimes that were committed. Um, you know, I look, I, I've served in the uh, Army Infantry and I know uh, the stresses of combat situations or situations where you're just under immense pressure. Um, and particularly when you're in a, on a, you know, a battlefield or in a foreign land. And I mean, let's face it, the real criminals are the criminals at the top, uh, you know, in this case, the Bush Cheney uh, criminal cabal, criminal regime, the crime uh, syndicate that, it, that was the Bush Cheney government that uh, it, that initiated all this um, and, and all these interventions and the militarism disguised behind uh, this, you know, these notions of uh, you know, defeating terrorism around the world. You know, you, you can't defeat a tactic, as we all know. It's just the sort of Orwellian uh, use of language and fear mongering and fear uh, stoking fear in the people. Uh, you know that that enables them to get away with far more than was uh, certainly necessary to repel or to uh, to vindicate what happened um, on September 11th. It, it, that's if you even believe that it was a bunch of uh, hapless quote hijackers, uh, you know Saudis, whatever they were. Uh, you know, who were sort of, uh, I mean, to pull off that kind of operation requires far more than any uh, any 19 or even with support from, say, bin Laden, supposedly. Uh, I guess I'm revealing my views here on 9-11, which is, uh, you know, this this it was uh, it, it was like anything that uh, you see in terms of a spectacular big public event uh, that goes sour or goes south or is it somehow um, somehow in a, uh, a, a quote attack on whatever it is they're they're holding up as being our values uh january 6th similarly and it's always around a date isn't it? september 11th january 6th you know and what it is 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 you can identify these uh these types of operations by the immediate uh, uh opportunism and uh, uh rush to capitalize on it uh, by the people who are supposedly the uh, you know, leading the uh, forces that were attacked or the, the, they're so offended um, by by what went down. And they also have, of course, a ready-made narrative uh, always in place, uh, the mantra that they're going to repeat over and over to uh, to accomplish their real ends. And, and you'll find that it also serves numerous, uh, numerous agendas all at the same time, these operations. 9-11, a lot of people got extremely wealthy uh, as a result of that day, despite the loss of life, uh, you know, only the families of the uh, the people who perished uh, really paid the price. Um, and and of course, you know, even even the destruction of the the uh, two towers, uh, the uh, World Trade Center towers, the owner of that complex, Larry Silverstein, who had just signed a you know a hundred year lease or something like that on the and you know essentially uh, acquired the properties at a massive discount. I believe realized something in the order of over two billion dollars as a result of that because he had just put terrorism insurance on those two two buildings and the entire facility and uh when he went to uh, claim his uh 
his uh, return or his his uh, compensation under that those policies was able to uh, argue successfully that there were actually two uh, or three, I guess, like three, including Building Seven or the rest of it, but at least two separate terrorist events occurred uh, with the two different plane strikes, as if it wasn't one uh, entire operation. So you know, this man became massively wealthy overnight. Um, the arms industry, of course, the neocons with their uh, the the PNAC agenda of having a new Pearl Harbor, all that served. Um, and, you know, Julian Assange was someone who is someone I hope he will will be able to uh, return to health and return to his mission and what made him such a uh, hero to people who believe in uh, truth and liberty and justice, which is uh, exposing uh, just the 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 murderous, vile, um, reprehensible ethos, if you can even call it that, but just the animus, the uh, the, the motivations of these people who. Uh, are, are bloodless uh, monsters as they launch wars around the world and uh, at the costs of hundreds of thousands, about millions of innocent lives in order to serve whatever um, whatever sort of uh, greed, whether it be greed, whether it be power, whether it be control, whether it be the success of these, uh, again, arms industry, uh, 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 you know, purveyors of, of of weapons of death and and not, you know, not that I'm saying we shouldn't have the ability and the arms to defend ourselves and defend freedom. But I mean, the arguments are now openly being made, for example, with the Ukraine uh, funding that, uh, uh, you know, this is going to help America because the, the money gets cycled back through our arms industry. I mean, <laughs> this is like this is what the Nazis uh, effectively uh, argued, you know, with the Krups um and and the arms uh the arms build up that that essentially was in parallel to the return of so-called prosperity to nazi germany um you know they they sort of armed up and and uh built rebuilt their manufacturing base preparing for war and launching it eventually which ultimately destroyed all of it so you know i think in the end you know these 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 weapons and their deployment and their use uh with the you know except in extreme circumstances of direct self-defense their use and offensive uh offensive um campaigns and offensive um uh, uh whatever have you any any type of maneuvers outside of our uh, country uh, i think have a have a price uh, and a higher price than is worth paying in terms of uh just our standing in the world the united states is now viewed uh, negatively, we used to be a proponent and, and a purveyor of freedom in the uh, excuse me in the world and around the world, and of uh, you know free society of of uh, uh, popular consensual self governance of uh, regimes that aren't just effective dictatorships. But I think that's totally been squandered by these people. Uh, and you know the fact that they're persecuting Julian Assange is just like the cherry, the 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 rotting cherry on top of the turd pile that is uh, what they've wrought uh, for this country and in this world in terms of American standing, in terms of the destruction, in terms of the enmity that's been created generate over generations for the United States, where we're not no longer viewed as a beacon of freedom, as a, uh, a clarion for civil rights and human rights uh, with a constitution and a, uh, a republic of free people. We're viewed as a, a militarist and imperial militarist uh, force that brings nothing but destruction uh, and exploitation around the world. And, you know, I, I will also say I, I'm very, was very pleased to hear from Mr. Wilkie that uh, the Australian parliament is no longer just being, uh, and the Australian government presumably, is no longer just simply being uh, in a default automatic knee-jerk 
uh, ally of the United States, you know, that they're, they're, they're discerning. And in this case, with regard to Julian Assange, have stepped up and said enough is enough. And I hope the United States government finally comes around and listens. I think if Donald Trump gets into the, uh, the seat of power, that uh, he's been changed. And I think enough people will prevail upon him to finally liberate Julian Assange and uh, whether whatever that uh, needs to take, pardon him. He should have done it in his first term. He could have stuck it in the eye of the people who spent four years screwing him, uh, frankly, and subverting our, uh, uh, you know, our choice at, at the time for president and the uh, screwing the American people, screwing us uh, every which way, but loose, frankly. And, you know, the fact that he didn't do that, I, I question who's in his ear, but um, I think Julian has certainly has a better chance than if you see Biden reelected, in which case it'll just be business as usual. He will be persecuted to oblivion in a what is effectively a kangaroo court in Northern District of Virginia, I'm sure, where they bring these espionage cases and cases involving supposedly sensitive, um, confidential or, or uh, classified information. And, and, you know, they, they know full well how to deny juries uh, the evidence and, and how to obscure the situation and ultimately get uh, something like 99% guilty verdicts um, in which people are sentenced to uh, absolutely um, uh, unconscionably draconian, draconian uh, prison terms of incarceration. And, um, you know, this is, this is the fate, unfortunately, Julian will face until uh, better heads, uh, more ethical and moral people are able to prevail. But um, we, we shall see. And I, I guarantee you there will be a lot of uh, people coming out for Julian Assange in the United States. I don't even think the regime is prepared because this is um, he's very much the canary in the coal mine, not just for journalistic freedom, but for liberty generally uh, and for having ethical government where they're not persecuting people for revealing corruption, but instead rooting it out themselves and, and um, having a transparent, uh, a transparent operating premise. So uh, coming up is my good friend and, of course, uh, co-host of State of the Nation, Brian McLean Hesher. And uh, we'll be having a rollicking discussion, maybe uh, move on from this topic, although we're still pray for Julian. You're watching The Tyler Nixon Show. Don't go away. TNT's Dean Mackin. Some would argue where it comes to Julian Assange, he has more than done his time, whether that be self-imposed or where he currently finds himself locked up. But just that time that he spent in the Ecuadorian embassy, that was way more time than he ever should have served. And what did he do? He told the truth. Somehow you would think if you were new to this world, if you were a visiting alien, if you were a child who was growing up in this world, you would learn quickly that if you tell the truth, if you advocate for what's right, you'll be punished. Apparently, that's the lesson to be learned. Dean Mackin on today's News Talk TNT. TNT is an independent global news talk station that does what others only say they do. TNT is a live radio and TV broadcaster that simply tells the truth 24 hours a day, seven days a week. No one in the world does what we do. Crisscrossing the globe, providing credible news and opinion all day and all night. In two and a half years, TNT has become a credible and exciting platform with brilliant hosts and staff. It's a critical time, and we must continue to call out the misinformation and propaganda from mainstream media and their powerful sponsors. We're now appealing to our many friends and supporters around the world to go to TNTradio.live and make a small donation to TNT while we seek the right investors to continue our important mission. Listen. Listen up! Now listen, we gotta talk. It's what we do best. This is today's News Talk Radio. TNT. Joining me, 
my good friend, fellow uh, TNT host and co-host of what I consider the flagship show of today's news talk, which is a state of the nation, which uh, airs immediately following the Tyler Nixon show with uh, of the great Steve Hook as co-host. And I, I have to say, I mean, I all the content on TNT is really excellent. Uh, I mean, we have so many, uh, so many great voices, uh, but this particular show that goes two hours every afternoon is a is a must see. Uh, great guests, great conversation, and uh, uh, Steve and Brian are just absolutely total patriots, great Americans, um, just righteous, and uh, t they're truth tellers, and they also are able to uh, to bore in to the uh, to the corruption and the nonsense, and really sort of pull pull the uh, mask off. And uh, Brian, welcome to the Tyler Nixon Show. It's an honor to have you, my friend. All right. Yeah, first rodeo here on the Tyler Nixon Show. Very excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I uh, I uh, sort of gave you a, a tweet, a, a tweet, a post on X, a, you know, an X post, uh, just, you know, talking about uh, your background as a, as, a, as a sort of warrior for liberty and someone who I, I just immediately aligned with in the sense that after just a, a short, not, not even that long conversation, I, I just knew, you know, you're, you're, you're a brother in arms, so to speak, and uh, a kindred spirit. So I just was curious, I, I don't know that maybe you've talked about it uh, elsewhere as you, uh, you know, you've been uh, really a long time TNT host. I just want to know your background, you know, maybe just growing up and what your, uh, you know, sort of, uh, uh, situation was when that led you to uh, to become who you are now in terms of your ideology and uh, you know your general uh, ethics. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm from uh, California. Lived most of my life in California. Uh, born in uh, the far northern part of California, and uh, did the, the lion's share of uh, my bachelor's degree in far northern California, Humboldt County. Represent. So uh, I was oh, nice. born up there. Yeah, it's a great place. Uh, I lived there until I was not the Emerald okay. Triangle. Yes, right in the uh, the tip of the Emerald Triangle for sure. Uh, a lot of for, for those who songs. don't know, or for those who don't know, the Emerald <laughs> Triangle is uh, for those who are familiar with the uh, the cannabis plant. You would know um, this is this is an area that has has just been world famous for cultivating some of the finest marijuana in the world, um, at right in Humboldt County there. And uh, so you grew up in the midst of that, huh? Well, I was born. I knew there was a reason and, I liked you, even beyond just yeah, right. <laughs> I know it's it's such a beautiful uh, area of California. I mean, uh, Mendocino County, Del Norte County, Humboldt County make up that um, Emerald Triangle that you're talking about, and um, it changed drastically in the late '60s and early '70s during the hippie movement. Um, a lot of people wanted to, uh, you know, truly check out. You know, some of the hippies that moved to Humboldt County and uh, Mendocino and Del Norte County in the '70s were sort of uh, the first off-gridders, you know, if you will, the sort of first modern off-gridders. And uh, yeah, they they made a lot of money cultivating cannabis up there. And unfortunately, since uh, the government cracked down on it so hard as a response, they set up the uh, campaign against. Uh, marijuana uh pro procreation i don't remember what the p was in camp but it was like a militarized group that would fly around in black helicopters you know and they would um terrorize basically small you know farmers that were growing marijuana up there um so i i went back there i li i didn't only live there until i was like two years old and then i went back there to go to college so i was back there in 1993 and if you watch the documentary net um on netflix called murder mountain uh, there's a really interesting story that sort of talks about how that 
that hippie, um, you know, peace, love culture degraded into like a black market, uh, um, methamphetamine driven marijuana market, you know, that got yeah. really brutal. There's a lot very, of very cutthroat, right, right. Competition, yeah. you know, sort of, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. And, and it's dark, a great dark it's underbelly a, it, of, of yeah, it. Yeah, and it's a great example of how prohibition and and that sort of militarized government response to something like this um, made it worse. You know, it yes. made the situation yep. much worse. And you know, granted, they seem to be trying to do better with it now, but they've politicized it and corporatized it in a very uh, weird way. But that's sort of an aside. Anyways, you know, Humboldt was a great place to go to college. And I learned, um, I started doing computer science there and got really interested in computer science. Um, before I went to college, I was living in a different part of Northern California in the Sierra Nevada foothills. That's where I did most of my growing up. And you know, a lot of skateboarding, snowboarding, skiing, uh, heavy beautiful area. Just yeah. really, I mean, you're very lucky. I mean, now is that that's that's sort of southwest of Shasta National Forest. I mean, that whole area, obviously above, really uh, Sacramento is like, I mean, right. huge, huge forest. I mean, people think California's beaches, and I mean, and whatever. It's uh, it's crazy up the redwood trees. I mean, I had a friend who, speaking of cannabis uh, marijuana cultivation, he was sort of st striking out to set up his own operation and he bought a place up in the Shasta National Forest and man I mean before you even I mean you would be 20 miles short of where to say the turn off into the dirt you know whatever or whatever road you know you, if you can call it a road yeah. went up and you would lose you would have no reception on a phone I mean 20 miles before you even got to his turn off and then you go another 20 and it was like I was th like this is really really remote out here and I understand there's also it was very conservative up there, very Republican or, you know, sort of more patriot oriented. Now, they, it was that. Did you find any of that when you were? I mean, obviously, you're sort of center of hippieville, but um, did you find people in, in, when you were growing up that, that held those values? I mean, what were, were the values for you in the Sierra Nevada foothills? Absolutely. You know, um, I'm sort of a Gen X kid, grew up in the 80s and 90s, and things were still very traditional in uh, you know, in, in Placer County, Nevada County, Sacramento County, you know what I mean? It was, it was, um, the, the, we didn't have the same kind of cultural warfare that we're experiencing now, you know, we sure we had psyops of our days and stuff like that, but it wasn't like it is now. There just weren't all these like, uh, radicalized people running around. I mean, you know, of, you know, when you compare it to now, I suppose to people then that had really traditional values some people may have seemed somewhat radicalized but yeah in general i found that in northern california especially in the rural areas like we're talking about uh there were a lot of conservative oriented people and probably more importantly and more noteworthy to me were just the independents there were just so many people that were like no i'm i'm an independent you know they they focused more on uh, just sort of the foundational values of the country you know rather than being involved in the whole democrat versus republican thing well, they lived off the land. I mean, they they were, you know, I mean, it was very much a rural uh, type of environment and there was a lot of farming, right? I mean, obviously, and uh, people were laborers and they weren't, they weren't interested in the big city politics and it hadn't, hadn't the, uh, the rings of stupidity hadn't emanated that far from say San Francisco, yeah. uh, you know, or in this, you know, in this, it's Southern uh, uh, sort of a partner in ADC, obviously Los Angeles. And so, you know, you, you get outside of those big cities in California, you find some really great people. I mean, you, they're not, it's not, not all crunchy granola nutbags in California by any shot. 
uh, or any stretch, I should say. Uh, Brian, we're going to take a quick, uh, as you know, little news blurb here, um, and we'll continue this conversation on the other side of that. You're watching The Tyler Nixon Show. Question. What are you guys doing today? The news. TNT Radio News. Sounds good. For TNT, this is James O'Neill. U.S. government lawyers argued before Britain's high court that WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange should face espionage charges in the United States for actions that exceeded the scope of journalism. Russian forces have potentially captured between 850 to 1,000 Ukrainian troops during their retreat from Medvedka, a critical position in Donbass, as reported by the New York Times, citing anonymous sources. Why not give TNT Radio a follow? We're on all major social platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time right here on today's News Talk. TNT Radio. TNT Radio. Getting right back into it with my friend and fellow host here on TNT, Brian Hesher McLean. Uh, so, Brian, uh, you you mentioned you got into computers, and I remember you talked about this, um, and I was fascinated by the the path it took. It seemed to be, uh, and I, I don't recall specifically, but um, it seemed like you had a very very technical expertise, and I'd like to just hear a quick quick re uh, redux of that. Yeah, sure. So when I was going to Humboldt State University, um, that was the early 90s and computing was still sort of, uh, you know, it wasn't quite in every household yet, but it was on the cusp of being in every household. And the type of computer teachers and the curriculum that we had there at HSU in 93, 94, 95 zone was very um, old school, you know, machine language programming, uh, Pascal programming, C++. Yeah, COBOL, exactly. All that kind of stuff, learning about network stacks and ISOs and just all the things that we don't have to think about anymore, all the things that are now ubiquitous, you know, I, yeah. I took But nonetheless, in. foundational. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it was absolutely foundational and it was just like a steady progression from there. And then I moved to Monterey, California. I went to their um, computer program there. And theirs was much more modernized. So over there, I started learning multimedia. Um, three, I worked in 3D animation, things like that, just kind of doing a, a digital art and design, that kind of stuff. So basically, just try to get a really wide, you know, uh, you know, bachelor's degree level um, technical background. <clears throat> and then in my um, when I was doing that, I got an internship at the at the Navy Postgraduate School in Monterey, California. And I started working there with uh, a research group, and uh, we—I had—I ended up there for 16 years. I became a, a full-time employee, and then I became uh, faculty staff, and we worked. Uh, and I became very interested in database technology. So I did a lot of work around databases and cybersecurity, and uh, project management. That morphed into a whole bunch of different things that we were doing, and that was when I got really interested in you know, what our military was doing, what kind of technologies in the military. And, you know, I got to go to um, a lot of really interesting places and work with a lot of uh, active duty military people. Um, and I did a, a master's degree while I was there as well. So um, I got a master's degree in, um, <clears throat> in uh, IT management while I was there. And while I was there, I got interested in politics. Um, you know, uh, largely be just because of the environment that I was in, you know, my coworkers and mentors were all uh, very interested in politics and my two bosses, one of them was a, a, a mainstream sort of um, 
uh, Democrat and the other one was a conservative Republican. So, you know, I was privy to these conversations that these guys would have and they were both ex-military. One was a, a SWO in the Navy and the other was a, um, a pilot, a uh, naval pilot, actually. <clears throat> Shouts out to uh, Professor Gallup and uh, Captain Roding there. If you guys ever see this, you were instrumental nice. in uh, my getting involved. I don't know what you guys would think about where I'm at right now with it all, but I wouldn't be surprised if we had uh, a lot of similar comments on it. But, you know, that was sort of where I got into that. And then I got into so, so, so this was like this is like the 20 teens, roughly, uh, you know, say you said 16 years that would have taken you into like the late 20 teens, roughly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I worked there from uh, 2000 to 2016. So I got to be there through, you know, um, uh, 9-11. You know, you were talking about 9-11 earlier. Yeah, and, no, no. And well, yeah, that <laughs> means talk about like a transformational event. I mean, that that yeah. I'm sure it impacted what you were doing, no doubt. I mean, you, you, know, you were in, a, was it was it actually a part of the Navy or like an adjunct or uh, uh, to the Navy? So it's like a um, <clears throat> an academic institute. So uh, the the postgraduate school in Monterey is where you know people go after Annapolis or you know other places. So gotcha. Um, but it, but it know, is get, like a navy institute. Oh yeah, it's a it's base. In, okay, gotcha. It's a base. Okay. It's run by an admiral. And and on September 11, you know, I was getting ready for work, and I saw what was happening on television, and uh, I got email from work saying that the base was on lockdown. Don't come to work today. So I sat and I watched it all, you know, I watched uh, the horror of people falling out of the building. Um, just like, wow, you know, and, 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 and you were just really... in the, you were just in the door of the, I mean, you said 2000, oh, yeah. you couldn't have been there more than a year at that point. Right. Roughly. I was still an intern. I was still wow. an intern, you know, I was totally green. You know, I, 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 you know, I have most of my, uh, you know, my dad, my grandparents, my uncles, they're all military guys. You know, I'm probably one of the first uh, men in my family to not join the military. And I only ended up working for the DOD because I got an internship, you know, out of the CSU that I was going to. And luckily, I ended up uh, hooking up with the gentleman that I mentioned, and, and they built uh, an amazing research team that topped out at like 32 researchers, I think um all around the country and uh you know i learned so much from them just from uh being involved with them uh doing weekly meetings with them you know that's kind of i think where i developed the skill set to do like roundtable discussions like i do uh at the boiler room and you know to an extent were they here, were they there for the your entire 16 years so you were just like literally parallel to them in your career or, oh, or did they they were definitely like mentors of mine, you know, and um, they're just two of many. I worked with so many good colleagues and professors. And, like and I have, yeah, it was a, it was a great I was going to say, do you, do you stay, do you stay in touch with them? I mean, even like, you know, occasionally, or did you sort no, of I'm, fall I'm, out of touch? I, or? I, I, I fell out of touch with them. And, you know, when, when I lost that job, um, that was during the Obama administration and an inspector general came to the base and said, you know what, you've got 400 more people than you're billeted for. So they just took an axe to myself and, you know, approximately Jeez. 399 other people. And it was like, what do I do now? But in that time between, like, I started getting interested in the 9-11 in, in particular in 2007. And between 2007 and 2012, I maybe read a little bit too much about it. I read everything <laughs> and I listened to everything. No, and, you, you can't know. You can't learn too much. I mean, <laughs> exactly. this would, this would have been like loose change have been one of the... Uh, sort That's of things yeah. that kicked you off yep. 
Loose Change, um, Dr. Judy Woods, Where Did the Towers Go? And any podcast I could get my hands on, any live stream, any anything I could get my hands on, uh, people were talking about that. I was watching it. And uh, that really changed things for me because, you know, uh, when 9-11 happened, I know you got to go to break soon here, so I'll be brief. But when 9-11 happened, it was like I was surrounded by military people, you know, and it's like they and I all trusted the media and the government to not lie to us. (laughs) Yeah, and and it's it's a very tenuous situation for you, too, because you can't. Yeah. I mean, you say one one thing, let anything slip at that, especially in that era. And, you know, the Bush administration, I mean, my God, you were lambasted. You were, uh, you know, written off as a as a traitorous, un-American kook. If you even dared question the, the you know, the main the main uh, government narrative. So, um, well, it's great to be on with a fellow host because, you know, the, you can know the breaks are coming. Uh, so we'll take a quick uh, we'll take a quick commercial break here and get back uh Back into the conversation with uh, Brian Hesher McLean, my guest today, and uh, it's uh, going to be a very in- interesting cap to the conversation. You're watching the Tyler Nixon Show. Deweaponizing weather with reality and perspective. I want you to consider this about the Trump verdict and the climate change agenda. In a nutshell, someone who had to jump through hoops to get financing, think about what you have to do to just get financing for your house, who made astronomical amounts of money for those people that loaned him the money, created jobs, created actual entities that benefited society, has been found guilty of fraud by people who never created a thing in their lives, so they try to bankrupt him. And the fact that this is okay with a large segment of the population, whether you love or hate Donald Trump, is a sign, unless this stops, the United States is finished. It's the Michael Mann verdict on steroids. Complete disregard for the facts. It stinks to high heaven, which I can't believe the people who are doing this believe in by their actions. What does this have to do with the climate change agenda? Should be a warning shot to anyone refusing to play ball. JP Morgan is waking up. They've pulled out a $63 trillion Climate 100 organization, which are a bunch of major financial entities that are all in for using climate to reshape the new world order. Well, I have news for JP Morgan. If others wake up and start leaving, you're going to find you're in the Hotel California Finance with this. You can check out anytime you want, but you can never leave. This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog Meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. Are you ready to help your family get prepared for the unexpected? Here we go! Ladybug and Cat Noir know how important it is to be ready, because you never know when Hawk Moth is going to strike or a disaster will hit. And you don't need miraculous powers. Just put those planning skills you already have to good use. Make a plan that will help you and your family be ready when emergencies happen. Ready Kids can help. Get started at ready.gov kids. This is the Tyler Nixon Show. Today's news talk, TNT. So before we get back into the, uh, into the, the heavy duty conversation and uh, 9-11 and, and, you know, light topics like that. Um, I, I wanted to uh, ask Hesher, he's, uh, we're both, we have different musical tastes, but we're both, I, I'm sure, uh, equally devoted to music uh, as a passion, as something that really keeps us sane through all of it. Uh, Hesher, you just mentioned that you're, uh, you were you were there for sort of the birth of hardcore, you know, thrash metal, you said, right? So to mm-hmm. tell us what, give us your musical, uh, you know, your top 10 or whatever you want to say about it to uh, describe your uh, tastes. 
Oh, I, you know, I, I grew up in heavy metal culture. Uh, I grew up in a house that had a bunch of LPs in it, you know, from Black Sabbath to Pink Floyd. You know, my parents had really cool musical taste. And yeah, really. That's cool. <laughs> we had a great turntable. Remember those old Sony uh, headphones, the big white oh, yeah. earmuff ones? Absolutely. Yeah. I was that kid spinning, you know. And you're a kid. I mean, for. if you're a small kid, it looks like you're <laughs> giant huge. on your head, like yeah, drooping down, you know, practically. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I was in there, you know, rocking Led Zeppelin four and Black Sabbath and all that stuff. And I just always liked, you know, I grew up just loving music in the 80s. You know, I liked everything from Michael Jackson to Van Halen and, you know, Quiet Riot and stuff like that. And then... Oh. I just started finding heavier and heavier music as I got a little bit older. You know, I, I heard Metallica on a show called Metal Shop out of uh, uh, this station in Berkeley, I think. And, and that changed it, you know, and my first concert was Forbidden and Sanctuary. Uh, Sanctuary nice. Thrash Metal Band out of uh, Seattle yeah, yeah. and Forbidden out of the Bay Area. So, you know, I, and it just got heavier and heavier from there. Next thing I knew, I'm at my second concert, and it was like Sepultura and Napalm Death, you know, and I was off to the races, man, just Hesher for life. That stuff's high energy, for sure. I mean, my, I, I have to give a shout out to my my good friend and army buddy, David Haka, who was uh, in a, he had a band in Denton, Texas called Dergestank which you can still find, I swear, you can still find their album that they release, and it's some, it's some funny irreverent and really like hardcore stuff and uh I'll, I'll send you the links um it's on youtube still but um yeah he uh, uh it's uh Durgestank meaning the stench and uh <laughs> he actually he knew he's he's like knew all the guy i mean he knew the guys from slayer i think he might have even like performed with them at some point and uh you guys would have I'm sure have a ton to talk about because he's still still into it he used to please to really shred on guitar too and he had the perfect voice for like the you know he could do the you know and he could also have this crazy high falsetto that would kind of like you know jar you I, i'll send you the album uh, right. his album his album it's, it's the, some of the the just the song names alone tell you you're dealing with some really uh some really crazy guys uh and yeah <laughs> Um, I can't even say them, some of them. So but anyway, um, no, that's cool. That's cool. And uh, do you get do you get to go to concerts much today? I mean, do you uh, still not as much, not as much as I used to, but we definitely try to get down there when we can. Uh, we just went and saw Atheist and Cynic recently down in Austin. That was an awesome show. Big shout out to Shelly Kelly Schaefer of uh, Atheist. So yeah, we get out there when we can. But you know, it used to, I've got thousands of shows under my belt. It used to be you know six times a month. Now it's maybe six times a year. Yeah. Well, at least you're close to Austin, where if you know anywhere in Texas, you're probably going to get a good gathering of uh, of bands, you know, metal or yeah. otherwise. You know, you're yeah, you're close by shows here for sure. Yeah, um, definitely. So. Uh, on to heavy metal involving weaponry. Uh, we were speaking of the military and uh, you're you. So, Sue, so you got out of this, uh, you know, this all ended because they just summarily sort of dumped you over the side, you know, unceremoniously. You're overbilleted. Let's just slash 400 jobs. Right. Or 400. Yeah. I think you said. Right. And yeah. so what you know, did you find yourself kind of bereft after 16 years? You're like, what the heck do I do next? Or, or were you sort of glad to be out of that? Um, you know, sometimes it's good, it's refreshing to have a change, no matter, even if you did really enjoy it and learn from it and grow, what, what was your next move? Uh, it was a great question, you know, and it's kind of a mixed bag because, um, in that period of time between 2007 and 2016, I started, you know, looking a little bit deeper at 9-11, like I was saying, and then 
when and you mentioned um, exopolitics too which would be yeah yeah i started getting you know looking everywhere for it so you know i'm looking at everything and and i'm an old school art bell listener and a dr demento <laughs> listener nice. like i've always been into weird radio about aliens or strange things like that and when i started looking in you know uh hidden history and uh learned i started also started uh i found like jeff rents and alex jones and you know people uh, I mean, Project Camelot, even back in the day for you old schoolers, you know? Oh, yeah. Kind of no, yeah. So, back in like, you know, 2000, it, like 2005, literally. Yeah. Early 2000s. Right. Exactly. And, and, but, you know, when it came to military stuff, when it came to 9 11, I'm, I'm not hearing it. You know, I'm not hearing conspiracy theory on this. I, you know, I work around people that we all, no, no, no one here thinks like that. You know, no one here thinks like that. And, I distanced myself from anything like that on that topic until 2007 uh, when I saw a film called Zeitgeist and then I got reinterested in it and um, shouts out to my buddy Matt also who had been on MySpace, you know, talking about 9-11 as an inside job for several years and, you know, I was just like distanced myself from all that because I can't go there, you know, I work with military people, I work with highly respected, you know, highly skilled people, no one here talks like that or thinks like that and then all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, uh, I saw that film and I'm like, hmm, maybe there's something to this, you know, and I start looking at it and I spent a couple years doing that. And then um, uh, we get an email uh, right from from the base saying uh, we're not allowed to look at this site called WikiLeaks. Oh, and wow. I thought, wait, what? I've never seen anything like this. And at this point, I've been working there quite a while. Never been told Real I can't look at a website. Real quick before we jump over to Julian and WikiLeaks. Do you remember Dave Von Kleist? Uh, remind me. Okay, so he did a film. He was like a very clean cut looking guy, like, you know, dark hair, a little older. And he was like, uh, he was almost like presenting it like you would watch sort of a, uh, uh, you know, like a TV of, of a regular TV documentary, something. Um, and he just went through and questioned everything from a perspective that I thought was so straightforward. If you, if you, if I'm sure you've seen it, I've no doubt, because it was like right before Loose Change came out. Um, and he did this, uh, it, it was more questioning the, the, the political, uh, and the connections. And then of course, some, some of the physical stuff, which, you know, I mean, it was still being developed as, as they went. Um, and then it got, you know, then it kind of got, got crazy with, um, I, you know, there's so many, you know, uh, did you ever see, um, uh, the psyop psyopera one, oh, yeah, I forget yeah, the guy's name where, whereas, you know, it's all, it's all a hologram and, you know, there were missiles and not planes and, and it's just like. You know, with that stuff, I wonder, having been uh, having studied it from the very beginning and literally been one of the first people, I mean, I was like right at the outset, I was like, this is BS. I'm like, I don't this doesn't make sense. I don't know why I watched it live and just nothing. Something felt off to me about the whole thing. And yeah. I just and I, and I, you know, at first I was like, well, I mean, I have no reason to to think otherwise. And then, you know, immediately stuff began coming out. Uh, and what always struck me about it, just to get a little granular, was how are these supposed fires or the, the heat how is that heat maintained underground at you know like uh, whatever it was i mean enough to liquefy there was molten channels of you know steel still running and that it was still something like close to a thousand degrees a month later like what the hell i mean what how i'm sorry but no friction impact or friction whatever uh in friction from like just say the collapse um would cause that and it's just things like that start making me question like what is really going on here um, yeah. And then, of course, the uh, you know the 
the uh, opportunistic trading that went on and, and you know, the people who were, were given uh, foreknowledge. And of course, here's the crazy thing. And I'll just just kind of jump off of my own little one minute deal. I had a dream two years before that happened where three times where I lived through, it, it might as well have been living through that, that being on top of a tower and having it collapse and being plunged Whoa. to my death. And you know what's crazy? <laughs> this was in the midst of clerking for the vice chancellor of the court of chancery in Delaware. And the case, the big case that we were working on, that when I walked in, there was a 12 foot conference table. He said, this is what we have to boil down to a final judgment within the next you know, six months was Canner Fitzgerald v. Canner. All those people oh, wow. had who perished and were, you know, 600 some people, the whole company was destroyed, had just gone through a, and literally the year before the judgment came out, a like long litigation. It was Iris Cantor, who was Bernie Cantor. He basically, they, they controlled like 86% of the bond market. He had created this whole, uh, you know, trading platform and sort of uh, created the company that Cantor Fitzgerald, which handled all the bond trading practically in the world. And his wife, when he, after he died, was uh, challenging Howard Lutnick, who took over, was the protege of uh, Bernie Cantor. And so it was this, this pitched battle, which went on for like almost years that is never heard of in chancery court. Usually it's a motions practice. They just eventually get down to like, okay, well you lose because this, that, you know, this went to a full trial so that, you know, vice chancellor had met all these people. And the reason I found out and I, and it all made sense um, was I was watching the coverage that day and on comes Howard Lutnick. I'm like, oh my God. And, and it suddenly all like struck me that I was like, and I remembered this dream that I had in September of 1999. And it, and it stuck with me because I was in my, I was in a house that I'd moved into that I rented in Dover, Delaware. And it was, it was like a three bedroom house and I had all this space and I had just moved out of like a cottage in Charlottesville out of law school. So I had no furniture practically. So my bedroom was completely as a master bedroom was empty except for a four poster bed and like maybe a bureau, a big, you know, wooden floors. And so the first time I had this dream, first of all, I felt like I had been, it was the most violent dream and, and real dream I ever had in my life at that point. I thought I was dropped from two or three feet when I woke up. It wasn't just like startling. I mean, I felt like I had been dropped, you know, and, and the dream was that I was standing on top of a of what I knew to be New York, just based on having been there. And I'm looking down, I'm like, oh, okay. And I feel a rumble underneath me. And I immediately begin to like get that, you know, your, your heart goes up. Like I'm feeling all this emotion in the dream. And suddenly that I feel the building start to collapse. When I say collapse, I don't mean crumbling out from under me. I mean, it's like, it's, it's falling, you know what I'm saying? But I'm on top of it. And I'm saying, instantly thinking, Oh my God, I'm going to die. And then it's, and then I think, well, wait a minute, I'm on top of this. If this stays intact, I'll just be on top of the big pile. Right. right. And then it stop, And then it stops for maybe two seconds. I'm like, Oh, and then suddenly it starts tilting forward like this. And I'm like, <laughs> oh my God. And I can see the roiling abyss coming up to me. And, and as soon as I hit that black, and it was exactly, I mean, I, I'm like, it was exactly what I, you saw in 9-11, like the pyroclastic flow. And I'm pitched into this and that's the moment I wake up. And this dream happened three wow. times if it wasn't like, the second time I'm like, oh my God, not again almost in my mind, but it was so real. I've, and, and literally I was reading the briefs from this company and you know and, and working on this case of all these people who died two years later in that uh in that you know they were all killed i mean they, it was like they were on the uh, north tower i believe on like the 90th to the 900th floor or something and i mean i think it was such a profound event that something 
the space time rip man just like put that like i lived through someone's death because they probably some of them would have gone up to the roof yeah and been yeah, up there sure. when it collapsed you know and it's just like i mean to this day it's such it was so profound i can picture exactly how the dream like every second of it and that and that feeling of being thinking you're gonna live and then no you're not it's you know no. you know you know you can survive if it's like as long as the grounds underneath you still intact when you see yourself being thrown off of it into this roiling like you know the the black clouds and all anyway i'm sorry i wow. just had to share that with you um but that's uh, amazing wow thanks so, for sharing that that is really crazy man that's really crazy yeah, it, yeah. you know I looked at it from a perspective of a little bit of experience when I started opening my mind up to it. You know, it's like I the the research crew that I was involved with, we we worked with large scale military experimentation. So I know exactly how those things work. I know how they're bidded, contracted. I know how many people are involved in them. You know, um, it, it's it's a huge thing. Like if you're going to do like, say, you know, an annual exercise, right. And you're going to have people from multiple operational level people from multiple branches of military, there, fielding equipment that's being tested for, um, you know, consideration. That's basically what my group did. We were um, independent assessors of things like that, where people from industry, Lockheed, Boeing, whoever, you know, na name your your, your yeah, military there's so many name. so many different okay. elements right. that have to be brought together and and they'll come in and it's like there's so much planning involved with these things so when when i started re-looking at 9 11 and i said wait a minute you mean there was a, a large-scale military experiment happening the very same day wait a minute you mean they didn't know the difference between um uh red force blue force and injected targets wait a minute like you know for Wait me, a minute, like FEMA, a FEMA, FEMA was scheduled to be there the next day? Yeah, 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 exactly. And and for a massive like, exercise of, of a, you know, of a similar nature. I mean, yeah, it's mm -hmm. just like, what? I mean, how yeah. obvious do you have to be? I mean, and the thing is they couldn't conceal this stuff because these are operations were too large and involved too many people. Yeah, exactly. So they just have to and, say, oh, it's just a coincidence, right? Well, that's one of the things that people would argue. They'll say, well, there's just too many people involved. You couldn't have a conspiracy at this scale. And, and I would argue that, you know, when things like that are going on, it's the perfect cover because everybody is completely compartmentalized in this exactly. little silo. And they're working on a project that they've been working on. They've done three conferences over the last 18 months getting ready for this. They know exactly what data they're trying to collect. They know what kind of things they're looking for. They know what system they're testing, this and that. You don't get operational um, towers saying, oh, we can't tell if this is real or not, you know, or oops, we're not, we're not monitoring it right now. We heard so many excuses. And, and then to be like, oh, and we have no data. Are you kidding me? You have no 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 data. Okay, uh, where's all the footage from the Pentagon? Where where's all this other yeah, stuff? Exactly. And then you know, and then I got into the forensics of it with Dr. Judy Wood's book, where the towers go. And to me, that was it. It was the, you'll never convince me it was uh, nineteen guys with. Yeah. No. Her uh, she she kind of she kind of blew blew away the whole uh um you know the Stephen Jones. Although I mean I think probably they had. Uh, demolitions in the building but i think there was directed energy weapons involved i mean there's just no question the way the building was just sort of like smoking like it was it was what did she call it it was um it, more than just the fire it was like the thing was steaming almost and then of course the all the all the damage on the ground melted similar to what we're seeing in uh, maui frankly in lahaina you know? right yeah the toasted cars yeah.
Exactly. Now, I wonder, you know, I guess she sort of disappeared back into the, but her, her uh, work stance. Well, Hesher, this has been great. I would I would love to continue it. Maybe we can do a boiler room or something, talk, uh, talk shop. But uh, I appreciate your coming on, brother. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Love the show. Thanks for having me here and looking forward to my next appearance. Absolutely. Watch State of the Nation with Steve Hook and Brian Hesher McLean after the Tyler Nixon show. And uh, it's great stuff. And we'll see you tomorrow.